It's the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. It's time for another episode about the heavy metal music that we love, buddy. This episode, Heavy Metal, The Bronze Age, follows our earlier episode about the Stone Age, the early days, where the pieces of what would be called heavy metal were coming together. Yeah, this was an interesting time, not only for the metal scene, because punk was evolving. You had post-punk, you had the new wave, you had pop music changing, you had so many music styles changing and evolving, and metal being scary and heavy was more of an underground scene and it really grew because it was something that the people connected with. We're going to run through the history of the music we're talking about this week, the new wave of British heavy metal and how it got to that point. And then we're going to dig into the explosion of that music in the late 70s and early 80s on this episode of Heavy Metal, The Bronze Age, brought to you by Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Grown here, sewn here, check them out. And by our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014 and now serving that salty vet's barbecue. Like so much that we've learned about, Marcus, you can't really look at the timeline of the Bronze Age of Metal without looking to what was going on before that. Yeah, without the Stone Age, you can't have the Bronze Age. The heavy sounds were evolving in the early 70s. Bands like Judas Priest and Scorpions, who'd escaped Germany, were finally putting out music around the world, started to make an impact out there. Bands like Rush, who were heavier than the rest, right? Very much so, and that heaviness really inspired the youngsters to go out and want to do it. And there were other heavy bands that were influencing too, like Budgie and Motorhead, not only in the late 70s, but in the 80s and beyond. And as the decade progressed, bands like ACDC progressed as well. And they had nothing to do with the new wave of British heavy metal that was coming, except for they were loud, too. <laughs> These bands were laying the foundation or the basis for what was to become the new wave of British heavy metal. And that bass that you're talking about includes a band like UFO, who started in 68, but by 1974, they had a hit with Dr. Doctor. We've talked about Budgie and how much they influenced the bands that we love, including Rush, and they were part of the bass that was going into this new wave. Judas Priest was working towards the meat of their discography by 1976 when Sad Wings of Destiny hit, and they were going to be part of this new wave. They'd already set the bass with other bands, but they were part of the wave as well, all setting the stage for a new wave of British heavy metal because not all the bands were british right true you had bands everywhere i think we always look for the uh, magic oh we all started a band because of this event or this album but i don't think there's one of those here there's all this stuff going on and it's not only just happening in the uk it's happening everywhere where heavy music is becoming more popular right so it starts to spread and people start forming bands because of everything that's going on for the next couple of years, the scene started to grow in the underground, especially the heavier music, the harder metal, the punk scene. And then 
with the punk in full bloom and the metal staying underground. Judas Priest in 78 released a couple of albums. Motorhead released an album that made a big impact. And then Quartz released their debut album in 1978, their self-titled debut which sounds a lot like Sabbath, but the vocalist had a higher vocal range than Ozzy, closer to what the lead vocalist of the Scorpions was doing. And because of all these bands like Priest, UFO, Thin Lizzy, Quartz, and many others, Sounds Magazine and the BBC Radio started this Friday night rock show so the kids could hear this music. And while they were playing a lot of the underground stuff that never really amounted to anything, they still focused on the big gunners like Priest and Motorhead and Thin Lizzy and UFO. They broke a lot of bands. Yeah. This sounds a little familiar to me because that's kind of what happened with the rocker show and a lot of metal shows in the U.S. when the music started to get more progressed into the 80s. You played everything and then the things that rose above the rest would do that naturally. And I think that's kind of true of every breakout or every scene back to the British invasion and forward. There's always a lot of stuff. And then some things stand the test of time. And that's part of what we're talking about, too, on our discussion of the new wave of British heavy metal here on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Well, in 1979, things started getting louder for the heavy metal hard rock scene. Bands like Def Leppard, Iron Maiden, Saxon, Samson were all starting to really make noise. Angel Witch was another band that were making noise. Def Leppard in early 79 released Get Your Rocks Off and Maiden's Prowler demo was released in April of 79 and then you had the Saxon debut in May of 79. Now things are turning, Marcus. I know. Samson and Maiden and down the road those two cross paths. Bruce Dickinson from Samson joins Iron Maiden when Paul Diano leaves. Yes. And other changes happen, too, to bring around the classic Maiden lineup. You were telling me about that. In 80, Dennis Stratton left the band because he had a dispute with Steve Harris and the manager with hmm. the worst name ever, Rod Smallwood. Uh, uh, don't go there, man. I uh, told you, don't there. be talking about my man Rod. <laughs> but still. And Adrian Smith was who Dennis Stratton was replaced with, and he was in a band at the time called Urchin. That helped change the sound a lot because yeah. he was a totally different guitarist and boy. Feels, man. Yeah. Different feels from Adrian and pretty much any guitar player. He's so unique. And the combination of him and Bruce Dickinson joining the band set the whole thing in motion.
And it's interesting because in 81, when Paul Diano was fired from Maiden because of his drug and alcohol use, they jumped over to Samson to bring Bruce Dickinson over. And Samson had just released Shock Tactics literally a couple of months earlier. I was listening to the Shock Tactics record as we were getting ready for uh, this episode, and it was uh-huh. really fun to listen to. Samson was really good with Dickinson on vocals, even in his yeah. early days, man. That dude was good. He was a smart songwriter. The songs really had a nice, heavy feels, and between what Maiden was doing at that time and what Dickinson was doing at Samson, if you put those two together, you can see, looking back, how Maiden became the Maiden that we know and love. The continuity in all this is that Bruce Dickinson is one of the most brilliant fucking humans I've ever known. He's smart, he's creative, he's funny, mm-hmm. and he's a fucking fencer on top of it. His moving to Maiden, along with Adrian, kind of solidifies what they're going to be as we move from the bronze to the iron age of heavy metal, Marcus. That is true. But as we skipped ahead a little bit to give you a little overview of the Maiden deal. There was a concert in 1979 that was a lot like that Sex Pistols concert in 76, but for metal. It was called the Music Machine Gig. Samson, Angel Witch, and Maiden. The journalist for Sound Magazine, Jeff Barton, covering the show, described these bands as the new wave of British heavy metal. And that is the earliest coining of the phrase found to this day. Do you think there was a lot of conversation going on and that moment kind of made him think, yeah, this is a new wave. Coalesce what was already going on. It wasn't like, oh, these three bands are it. No, he knew that all these other bands, Venom and Angel Witch and Saxon and Raven were all out there. Diamond Head, all doing the same kind of heavy stuff. And the first British heavy metal label or hard rock label was founded in 79 Neat Records by David Woodigers and now it's near Newcastle. Now there's a man with a funny name. Not as funny as Rod Smallwood. Sorry, man. That one takes Don't the cake. There. Sorry. But you're right. I mean, Neat Records signed Venom, Jaguar, Raven, Blitzkrieg, Fist, Bitches Sin, Tigers of Pantang, and White Spirit, amongst many others. You know what the funny part is about the Tigers of Pantang is? I can't get over the name. They're a bunch of British kids from Whitley Bay in the Northeast. What's Whitley Bay in the Northeast? All the way up there. They're almost in Scotland. Oh, wow. I'll tell you what, those guys were super busy as far as pumping out records during the early days of the new wave of British heavy metal. They were pumping out EPs and albums twice a year. There was another force at work in regards to this music getting out there. It's called Metal for Mothers, and they did two volumes, two compilation volumes, kind of like Metal Massacre, but for the British uh, metal of this time, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And Volume 1, Song 1, Iron Maiden Sanctuary, kind of set the tone for what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, a lot of it was uh, recorded in 79. They released the first one, I think, the next February in 80. Bands like Sledgehammer, the EF Band, and this is where Toad the Wet Sprocket got miscast as a metal band. They're on there. Praying Mantis, who was part of the new wave. Ethel the Frog. I shit you not. <laughs> All right. And the first recorded release of Angel Witch, Baphomet. And another one from Maiden, because you can't really get enough of that early Maiden stuff. Wrathchild. Oh, yeah. And what follows it up here, Marcus? Samson's Tomorrow or Yesterday. Oh, man. That's the Bruce Dickinson debut, isn't it? Sure is. And, and closing out this first volume of Metal Mothers, a band called Nuts with a Z at the end, and the song called Bootleggers. Oh, that's like hilarious. Oh, my God. Did you know that right after that, the Metal for Mothers tour happened with Maiden, Diamond Head, Praying Mantis, and Raven as well? No, I did not, but I shouldn't be surprised, right? <laughs> they were very smart at marketing these bands at that time, which you need good marketing people and good promotion people to help. The Metal for Mothers people weren't going to go slow on this. They had the train rolling, so Volume 2 rolled out with bands like Trespass and Easy, spelled with a Z, Money. How cheesy with a Z. Uh, <laughs> zero with an X. How wrong. Uh, White Spirit, Dark Star, not the dead cover band. Horsepower and Red Alert. Chevy, they were Americanizing it a little bit. The Raid. And Trespass, all bands are on the second version of Metal for Mothers. And they did a volume later, but they were really influential there because kids could go get all that music and then, again, sort out the ones they really liked and go buy the full lengths. And that's what we were doing with music. And that's how it was helping to spawn the new wave of British heavy metal a little bit. The Metal for Mothers. Yeah, Metal for Mothers. Kind of like the Militias. Oh, yeah. Right after the success of Metal for Mothers two highly influential bands that are important in all of this but peripheral black sabbath with ronnie james dio as a vocalist releases heaven and hell mm. and judas priest british steel drop which is a monster of a record for everything that they have been doing when priest gets to this portion of the program they're laying down tracks that are going to stand the test of time and make their name and get them on the radio too breaking the law and living after midnight the best examples And then to support them on the British Steel Tour, they took Maiden with them as well. So that bond started developing in early. Oh, Oh, man. The Metal God and the Human Air Raid Siren together every night. Oh, my. A few months later, Def Leppard releases On Through the Night. It peaks at number 15 on the UK album charts. And if you have not seen that album cover, check it out. It's got a semi with a guitar and it looks like the semi's flying out of the moon. It so is cliche, just man. really cool, though, for that time period. And again, the album art in the 70s was wild. If you ever have extra time, go check out the album art of some of these bands. Crazy stuff, but cool, too. One of the things that happened after they changed their name from Def Leppard, D. 
E-A-F to, you know, the way they spell it now. We found out through the years, they found out that there are a lot of schools for the deaf around the world Do we get right? that have changed the name of their mascot to leopards. So you have a school for the deaf leopards. Uh, when they go out to play football or soccer or whatever sport they're involved in. And I thought it was really cool that back a few years that the band kind of embraced that whole thing and started becoming part of it. And I thought that was one of those things that's happening closer to the now for Def Leppard, spelled D-E-F now. But still, you know, reaching back to those early (laughs) days when they were still on the bus. Saxon releases Wheels of Steel in April of 1980. Their second album, it peaked at number five on the British charts. Metal music was being embraced by the masses. Just after that, Iron Maiden's self-titled debut album entered the charts at number four. Then Samson, right after that, releases Head On featuring Bruce Dickinson on vocals. And the Girl School debut, Demolition, was released as well. Some big albums. Shit's happening, man. Shit's happening. And check this out. In August of 80, Iron Maiden opened up for Kiss on their Unmasked tour. The streams were crossing, bro. What? They were. That's crazy. They were that big already. And the thing that happened with metal slowly in the 70s became accelerated in the late 70s and through the 80s, where bands, because the underground had already been grown, could plug in and get out there and build a following. And Maiden was one of the bands that really benefited from that. I also found out August 16th, 1980, the very first Monsters of Rock happened at Castle Donington over in England. Throwing horns. The lineup was Rainbow, Judas Priest, Scorpions, April Wine, Riot, and Saxon. 35,000 folks attended that debut metal fest. Don't underestimate the importance of Saxon in defining the sound of the new wave of British heavy metal. I'm just saying that. When we come back, we'll cross-correlate to what the hell's going on in L.A. We'll talk about bands that weren't from England but sounded like they were, and a whole lot more as we look into the new wave of British heavy metal here. Back with more Bronze Age on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. You know, Marcus, when Marisa got back from her power walk the other day, she started doing a testimonial for Boldfoot Socks, so I told her, hold on, and I sat her down and had her record it. Hey, Marisa, tell us all about your Boldfoot Socks. You know how much I love to go out on that 5.30 a.m. power walk, and I'm usually coming home sweating and dripping wet from head to toe. But since I bought my Boldfoot Socks, that isn't true anymore, at least not for my toes. After any workout or one of my long walks, I take off my shoes, I take off my socks, and I can't believe how dry my feet are. Even my socks aren't really that wet. These are the bold foot socks that I'm telling you about. Uh, They're so comfortable that I barely feel them on my feet when I'm walking or exercising. Every time you put on these socks, there's two words in capital letters that have so much meaning. You see the words, be bold. What that means to me is that if I'm going to go out for that walk, that jog, to the gym, wherever I'm going, it gives me a message that I can give it my best shot, that I can be empowered. 
I know it sounds crazy. It's just a pair of socks, but that's what it does for me. And they also wick the sweat away. That's Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Check them out and be bold. Hey, Ray, it's been a really fun summer, and included in that summer fun is all the happenings at Crooked Eye Brewery over in the heart of Hatboro. So much going on, including the opening of the Crooked Eye Kitchen and the arrival of Salty Vets Barbecue. Matt and his team started small, but demand immediately outgrew what they'd done, so they've been making more to keep people fed over there. I got to tell you, man, so much has changed in the way things are going, too, like Rich and John are doing a duet now, and they're appearing regularly in addition to all the the regulars like the Crooked Eye Band. And with the fall coming on, you're going to see some really nice fall varieties of beers in the And cider, too, probably. Don't forget, it's all there. Craft cocktails, too, at Crooked Eye at the main location right there off York Road in Hapro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014 and now pouring craft cocktails and serving up that salty vet fall off the bone barbecue. Keep up with what's going on at the Crooked Eye Brewery by following them on Facebook. (laughs) And we're back from the break. Talk about ethical frog. Mm-hmm. On the imbalanced history of rock and roll, it kind of got you, didn't it, that one? <laughs> it's part of the new wave of British heavy metal, and you could have never predicted that that was going to happen in this episode, I know. Uh, yes, and I did not look to see how they got their name, and I am curious, so I am going to, after this episode... Research team, if yeah. you have a moment, please. <laughs> you know what's really funny about the new wave of British heavy metal? What? It was a sound not a location because i found a lot of bands that sounded like they were part of that sonic thing but were not from uk in germany as an example udo dirk schneider and accept and another band that i think is a perfect new wave proponent but they're not from the uk they're from la blackie lawless and wasp right sounds like the new wave of british heavy metal true with chainsaws and raw meat yeah (laughs) <laughs> I always thought Crocus was from UK. Well, they're from Switzerland. They never get enough credit either. I love their song, Eat the Rich. And you know the famous WMMR connection to Crocus, don't you? No. Philadelphia. That's them? Yeah. Ooh. Anvil, another band that's right in the pocket for this time and this sound, is from Canada. They didn't like them so much up there, you know, because they're, you know, kind of crazy and they're named Anvil and all. <laughs> you know, really scared the fuck out of me first time I met him and every time since. Who? King Diamond and Merciful Fate from Denmark. There's a band from Denmark sounding like they're part of the new wave. Why did King Diamond scare you? Dude, you ever been around them? No, I've only seen him from the stage. <sighs> Do I have to say anything else? No. All right. 
You know, we've kind of touched on Lemmy and Motorhead and their role in this whole thing because they were kind of coming together and, and coming out as the new wave of British heavy metal was launching, too. And they involved punk rock and metal feels and all different kinds of elements, uniquely Motorhead, right? They always labeled themselves as a rock and roll band, too. Right. Just fast, a fast rock and roll band. One of the cool things about doing this episode for me, Marcus, has been exploring and relearning, and in some cases, discovery. I discovered a few bands, Marcus. I had the list listed as horrible. <laughs> and I mean it. I don't say that lightly. I don't pick on bands or anything like that. But a few of the bands that I came across, like Demon or Chariot or Saint, Alfred Wannabe doing Christian rock. There's my three-word, four-word review. They lead the list of bands that just weren't good. Like I said before, I think you have that in every wave of any kind of music. There are always bands that aren't that good and, and really don't make it. You know, The Battle Axes, The Adam Crafts, The Vortexes and Crossfire, Cloven Hoof and Blackmane, Ravage and Manax, Aragorn, is he a king? Are they Lord of the Ring nuts? Holocaust <laughs> and Ostrogoth, all Failed bands out of the new wave of British heavy metal. But they recorded, a lot of them recorded and released multiple albums. There's a lot. And the one that I found or rediscovered that I didn't really realize had roots back to the new wave was Killing Joke. I was really enjoying listening to their music this week. I did not realize Killing Joke had roots to the new wave of British heavy metal as well because they've always been more on the punky alternative end of the spectrum, but you can hear the metal in their sound and their influence. That's how we've viewed them because of how we were marketed on the band, I think, because they go back to 1980 and they were coming out right through all that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when you listen to the music and you actually listen to that early stuff, especially... You hear a lot more similarities to a metal sound, yeah. uh, more than alternative or punk or some blend of them all. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is where the ride's getting interesting on this episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm always uncomfortable with giving bands crap or making too much noise about what they did or didn't do. But some of these things just got put right in our face, Marcus. And what are you supposed to do? Look away and act like it wasn't there? <laughs> Turn a blind ear. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Perfect for the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Part of the research is listening to bands, whether they be good or bad, whether they hit you in the feels or not. And <sighs> Sad but true. I mean, true. we've done this across so many different genres where we've come across music and been like, ooh, don't like that one. On to the next one. Try out the next band. But, like, I found some really interesting stuff. I, I really enjoyed Hit and Run from Girls' School. Uh, 
Uh, I saw the Holocaust stuff. It, I, it didn't hit me in the feels. There was a band called Bleak House, a band called Getty's Axe. Um, Jameson Raid was okay. Um, not bad. I would listen to them in a mix of music, but I wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to go put on Getty's Axe and chill to them. Um, but if they <laughs> no came one's at- ever said that, you know, <laughs> never has been said. Tigers of Pantang wasn't too bad, and no, was pretty I cool, enjoyed kind of formulaic. Yeah, yeah, but I enjoyed their sound, yeah, and sure. I see where they were one of the early players in that scene as well. The main bands that we're talking about here, the ones who had the most impact, are joined by some other bands. Uh, Thin Lizzy is a good example that I didn't initially think belonged under the banner, having listened to them from the early days through. What I missed was this period in their time where they were really trying to be relevant and stay relevant. I guess that's what was going on on a song called Cold Sweat, which definitely had a different feel of their big hits of the 70s. And I guess Phil was just breaking out every trick and everything he could to keep Thin Lizzy on people's minds. And that was the trend of what was going on. So he fit in with it. Now it makes sense. Another band that got a chance because of the new wave kind of enabled them to put together some great songs and everything falling into place at the same time was UFO and one song after another. Lights Out in London. Uh, You know, they just had so many great songs that put them on people's mind and put heavier music on people's mind. not much into like the black metal or any of that stuff but i've heard venom over the years here and there in spots and because of their influence on the scene i had to check them out and i listened to their debut record welcome to hell and i found it very interesting because it was fast it had this hardcore punk vibe but with satanic lyrics and black metal or speed metal or thrash metal Mm -hmm. seems to be so much like punk rock in so many ways that looking back now and being quote unquote wiser and more knowledgeable i don't understand how these two groups (laughs) i don't understand how these two groups were at such odds with each other when their angsts were very similar their attitudes were very similar and the music was also very similar but a lot of kids compartmentalize when you're younger you compartmentalize more i think and that's true with music as well as life yeah the thing is feel the flow be good on a thursday to go to uh, a metal pit and Friday night go see the punk band that you loved growing up. I know Brian O'Neill knows what I'm talking about. And <laughs> the new wave of British, we should have him on to talk about the new wave of British heavy metal. He's Absolutely. The bands inside this 
wave, if you want to call it that. They had their rivalries, too. People were at odds with each other, posturing, as it were, uh, against each other. Oh, we're better at them than this, or we draw more people in this town. Those kind of things went on, you know? But I think once the momentum started, people realized they were part of something that was bigger than almost all of them. They kind of went along. Yeah. At the end of 81, when Bruce Dickinson replaced Paul Diano, it was only like two months before Iron Maiden released their debut with Bruce Dickinson, The Number of the Beast. It was also when Diamond had released Borrowed Time and Tank released Filth Hounds of Hades. And those three albums were a big turning point in heavy metal and the new wave of British heavy metal getting noticed because religious groups freaked out and tried to ban yeah. Number of the Beast. And thanks to those loon balls, that record hit number one on the UK album charts. <laughs> There's something else that's going on here in the uh, sub-basement of all this, and Raven's part of it because by their third record, they hooked up with John and Marsha's Azula and became part of Megaforce which leads to them being on Atlantic, which takes the thing to a whole new level for Raven and a lot of the music here in the U.S. And all that's happening right around the same time as Kill 'Em All landed. Just saying. Yeah. And Witchfinder was releasing uh, their music, and they became part uh, of that Finder. whole doom metal pioneer. Witchfinder? Yeah. Werefinder. They're witch. They're <laughs> witch. They're you know, witch. I always could find a were or a witch. You just went full Marty Feldman. Oh, my I God. Did. Werewolf. Werewolf? There. What? There, wolf. There, castle. <laughs> werewolf, werewolf. <laughs> their castle, their angel witch, <laughs> and Diamond Head. Let's not fail to talk about Diamond Head, a band that really has survived through all the changes through the years. Uh, people come and go, but Brian Tatler rules. They keep rolling on the coffin train, which was the name of their latest album from 2019, number five in the UK rock albums. Wow. Still relevant, Diamond Head. That's and awesome. they were really a big part of what was going on in the new wave of British heavy metal because they were 100% born and bred inside the new wave of British heavy metal. I guess when you get right down to it, a lot of the bands are still around. A lot of them are still playing. A lot of them are still making impact. You mentioned at the break about Merciful Fate planning a tour for this fall. Coming out of the pandemic, the ones that are still with us are starting to come back around. And that includes some of the biggest bands like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Scorpions have just been on tour in the U.S. Def Leppard, the biggest stadium tour of the summer. They were averaging $5 million a night in ticket sales at every stop on the tour. I mean, I know they had a lot of help there, but that's a lot of moolah when you add it up three, four shows a week even. Absolutely. <laughs> and the others are still very relevant, too, as the wave continues to flow to the shores. But on the next go-around, things change. Metal becomes even bigger as the new wave of British heavy metal turns into a worldwide wave of heavy metal. The Iron Age, the next time on The Imbalance History. Hey, you know, man, we can always do a follow-up on this episode if we missed some important stuff so people can reach out to us and tell us if we did. Yeah, please let us know if we made any mistakes or if there's anything that you think we should fill into this time chart because we know the importance of 
the new wave of British heavy metal, and we know that there's so much more to cover and there's so much more to talk about, but in a short period of time, you can only talk about so much. So we appreciate the interaction and the support, so please feel free to email us and communicate with us at theimbalancehistory at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on any of our social media channels, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Find us everywhere you get podcasts, including the Pantheon Podcast Network, a production of Dark Doc Media. Surfing that new wave of British heavy metal out the door. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll.